You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. A cluster of seven papers with an accompanying analysis recently published on bmj.com have taken on a huge question. That is, what are the most cost-effective methods for tackling non-communicable diseases in sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia? Dan Chisholm, who's a health economist at the Department of Health Systems Financing, that's at the World Health Organization, has co-authored one of the papers and also the analysis. And he's on the line now to give me an overview of the work. Hello, Dan. Thanks very much for coming on. A pleasure. We've seen a lot of focus in recent years on conditions such as HIV AIDS and malaria in lower middle income countries. But do you think there's now a shift in emphasis towards tackling non-communicable diseases? There certainly is. If we go back a few years, I mean, uh, to the the Millennium Development Goals, for example, non-communicable disease, NCDs, including uh, mental disorders, were not really part of that. Uh, They were integrated in certain number of the goals, but not explicitly mentioned. That, that reflected what was known and uh, about the burden of disease and, and the most effective interventions for reducing disparities between low, middle and uh, high income countries. That, the, the picture has clearly changed substantially since that, uh, partly due to the effect of, of interventions for those communicable diseases, mm. but also reflecting uh, important shifts in aging populations and the burden of disease due to mm. non-communicable causes, particularly in in rapidly growing economies. For example, that you know the BRIC countries: Brazil, Russia, India, China. The global level, this um, change, uh, this growing burden, has been given more policy attention by the the recent high-level meeting on non-communicable diseases uh, last uh, September in New York, which I think has also provided a a big wake-up call for, for policymakers uh, in low-middle-income countries, reminding them of the scale of the, the current and, and projected future burden of these diseases. The interventions that you looked at to tackle the, these diseases, could you give us an idea of the variety and the breadth of these? Sure. It's, it's a sort of deliberately broad term to cover any um, health strategy which um, could be around promotion, prevention, treatment or even palliative care. In this particular series, we've looked at a pretty wide range of interventions, in fact, uh, right from sort of population-based taxation on tobacco or alcohol, uh, screening interventions for for cancer or, or for sensory loss, for example, road safety measures, things like uh, drink driving laws and speeding limits and so on, through to more individual-based measures or interventions, including counselling and primary care for smokers or people with depression, drug treatments for hypertension, people with high cholesterol uh, or elevated risk of uh, cardiovascular disease, right up through to radiotherapy, chemotherapy and surgery for cancers. So a very broad uh, array of types of interventions and covering cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes and respiratory disorders, but also including um, mental health and sensory disorders and finally road traffic injuries. And once you'd been through all this analysis, what what were your results? Were you able to find effective in- interventions for each of the, the major conditions or groups? I wonder if you could give us a few examples of the most successful ones. And the real focus is not just on, on effectiveness, but of course on cost effectiveness. The key finding, I suppose, from, from the, 
the series is that, at least in these two selected low-income resource settings, um, there are indeed many strategies that um, are effective and, and also cost-effective. That raises the question, what do we mean by, by cost-effective? So we define that in terms of the average annual income or the GDP per person. So for these two contexts that we're reporting on in this series, that um, comes out to be around 2,000 international dollars or rather less than 1,000 US dollars uh, per person. So mm. you know, if the cost of a healthy year of life um, that can be attributed to an intervention costs less, we consider that to be a very cost-effective use of resources. So looking across these different um, uh, disease areas, there are uh, examples from, from each which uh, come out extremely well. Great. Tobacco control is, is a good example. Salt reduction would be another one. Also this sort of multi-drug therapy, if you take a so-called absolute uh, risk approach to cardiovascular disease so that you identify the people who have a elevated chance of experiencing a CVD event over the next 10 years, this can generate huge health gains in the population. Early detection of cervical cancer, treatment of epilepsy in primary care, um, counseling for, for alcohol, um, cataract uh, operations, um, and also trafficking enforcement. I mean, that's becoming a very significant problem in a number of rapidly growing economies. Many of the interventions that we looked at for improving road safety also came out uh, under this kind of threshold of being very cost-effective. Great, so some solid priorities for the future then. And with these um, interventions and solutions, how did they compare to those for uh, communicable diseases? Did they seem to be as cost-effective or were they trickier and more expensive to implement? Some uh, of the interventions are, are really very, very cost-effective, so many, many times less than the, the, this sort of GDP per capita threshold that we use. So, for example, tobacco control is costing around $100 per daily averted or healthy life year gained, mm. which is certainly in the same sort of ball, ballpark as many of the interventions for uh, TB um, and uh, malaria, for example. If you really average them out, I would say that it's, the, the ones for the NCDs are slightly more expensive, partly reflecting the chronic nature uh, of these many of these mm. diseases. Um, but they're still, you know, very cost-effective use of uh, resources. So I think that's the key message to to take home. Great. And how is this going to go forward from here? This is an awful lot of work. You must be very keen to to see it get into practice. Yes, there's, there's a huge amount to do. I mean, uh, not least the sort of practical level of mm. how to, to scale up the interventions. You know, I think there is now much stronger evidence on the uh, the burden and the economic impact and uh, and also the, the interventions that, that worked. One point, and we, we, we acknowledge throughout this, is that um, we've taken this regional perspective. And of course, resources are allocated at and, and policies determined at, at the local or the national mm. level. So one exercise from the, uh, that can be undertaken is a process of adaptation or contextualization from the sort of regional to the, to the national level. I mean, another thing is that what we have done here is health technology assessment, uh, economic evaluation of different interventions. So once, once you've identified what are the you know, the lowest hanging fruit, so to speak, then the next task is to then 
work out what it's actually going to cost to put those sort of interventions together into a package and and scale it up. Each country's got its own particular circumstances or, or, or priorities. Cost effectiveness is, is only one of the many criteria that enter into the decision-making process. We, we hope that the information that is produced through this does contribute to those discussions, but we're not saying that uh, decisions should be made uh, purely on the basis of um, you know, value for money. There are always other important issues, maybe more important issues around the, the equity considerations and, and fairness in, in the financial contribution that uh, individuals are asked to make towards healthcare particularly. Sure. Well, Dan, thanks very much for coming on and telling us more about this. Uh, It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.